Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hi, and welcome back to the program. So if you're viewing this via video, my name is Dr. Jen Blanchett. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist with expertise in traumatic brain injury, concussion, and acquired brain injuries. So what I want to talk to you about today is a concussion and acquired brain injury holiday survival guide. So I've worked for the past 10 years with survivors after a brain injury, and frequently the holidays are a problem because they're difficult for us all, but I think adding a layer of brain injury on top of it can be even more challenging. So I wanted to provide some information and resources for you to think about the holidays a little bit differently this year. So our agenda is first to talk about difficult emotions and situations, attending to grief, and we'll talk a little bit more about grief as well, and cultivating joy. So we don't think about trying to cultivate joy, but I always like to think about how we can lean into something different, something joyful, and using our adaptive memory network to help us guide the way. So I want to start with this. Our losses are often loudest around the holidays when we should project joy. I want to talk about grief around the holidays, expectations of ourselves and others, and then we're going to talk about that joy around the holidays. So as I was preparing this podcast episode, well, I recently heard about the loss of Twitch, who was a dancer and had a death by suicide. And typically, you know, I'm always saddened when I hear about, of course, when I hear about a loss of life, especially by suicide. But I think for people that we see in a joyful context most often. So for Twitch, I watched many of his videos. I enjoyed seeing that dynamic between him and his wife. And I love dance. So I was struck a little bit and taken aback that someone who projects this joy was dealing with such immense immense sadness. As a mental health professional, I wasn't I understood the issue, right? So I understand I've worked with depression. I've worked with extreme sadness. So I can understand that side of things and how someone can project joy and still feel intense sadness because we're, we have a lot of different emotions. We can project joy. We can have that showman kind of attitude to the world, to our families, but then internally that experience is very different. I think for me, it was more just settling with it at this time and also talking about grief, which I often think about clinically. And I think the heaviness of the past three years, honestly, with dealing with the pandemic at the time of this recording. So I want to talk a little bit about grief after brain injury. So one one aspect I talk about with survivors is the loss of role or ability. So after a concussion, TBI, Many people have lost a role in their life, such as a job, a place in the family. So maybe they don't see themselves the same anymore in their family, even because of their TBI or concussion. There's no social script that we have for this type of type of loss. Many survivors will tell me things like family always asks them random questions like, you look fine. Aren't you enjoying all this time off around the holidays? It must be wonderful. 
And it's so incongruent with the lived experience of brain injury and concussion. Because of course, you would love to have time off where you got to enjoy your life. But many times, there's not a lot of enjoying life in brain injury recovery. There can be, but in those early days, it's often back-to-back appointments with providers and dealing with a lot of symptoms. Another aspect is difficulty with communication and losses to others. So others might notice that you might appear sad or flat. I may not understand that in the time of joy and the holidays, it's hard to communicate what you're feeling, that it's hard to show joy when you've been dealing with something really, really difficult. And lastly, lack of validation of loss and grief. People don't kind of get that they're, that you might be struggling with the loss of yourself, with the loss that you might have suffered regarding your brain injury and not know what to say about that. Also, we have a lot of difficult situations during the holidays. So, so like loud places, tense situations, family brings joy and they also bring some struggle, right? Travel, depleting emotions. So feeling frustrated, feeling that sensory overload that might trigger other brain injury related symptoms, grief, And I would add, you can stack personal grief related to brain injury, and some people might be dealing with a a loss of a loved one. So someone in their life might have died around the holidays or recently. Feeling out of place. So maybe you did certain traditions before. Maybe you cooked the whole holiday meal, and now you're not doing that. And it's kind of hard to figure out, where do I fit in now? Family situations that might be difficult. So I was joking a little bit with Melissa Biscardi, who is a concussion clinician and was talking about like, quote unquote, our aunt Gertrude as a fictional person who asks you things like, Hey, do you have a boyfriend yet? Or, you know, Oh, you don't have a job yet. So dealing with those situations that are really awkward and people don't get anxiety. So dealing with how am I going to handle this family gathering? How am I? Am I going to, how am I going to deal with my symptoms? Am I going to have a flare up day where I just can't do anything? Where will I rest? How will I replenish my energy? So a lot of anxiety, often people discuss around the holidays about that. So I want to talk a little bit about grief in the brain. So there's not a lot of research, but I did find a study and this is from 2003. So grief involves a distributed neural network. So these include affect processing, mentalizing, kind of constructing something, episodic memory, memory, like specific types of memories, like this, my memory of Christmas last year or Christmas 10 years ago, for example, visual imagery, autonomic regulation. Most of you know what that is, but I will just say that's the, the regulation of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system or your flight, fight or flight system and the modulation and coordination of these functions. So when we don't have coordination of the functions, which we see a lot in brain injury is that attention, memory, visual processing, the coordination of bringing all that together and being able to, let's say, create a recipe, you know, before you could just kind of throw things together and make pancakes. Now you have to go step by step and check off each step because your brain is having a difficult time coordinating all those things to produce that recipe. 
grief, a personal or ambiguous loss are largely unstudied or recognized. After a brain injury, there may be a lack of awareness with losses, changes for some time. Physical changes may be unnoticed. I have had a number of clients tell me that they didn't recognize themselves after their brain injury. So their actual image of themselves pre-injury was so different from their physical experience of themselves post-injury that they would, for example, like walk past a mirror and not recognize themselves or not know that they're a different size, for example. And that was very unsettling to them. So even just kind of losses in the self or, or changes in yourself that aren't recognized and also early in injury backing up a little bit. Some people don't realize that they might have some cognitive difficulties and the family may be more aware and that could be due to impaired memory from the result of their injury. So lastly, grief, depression and PTSD have PTSD have a stacking effect on cognition. So because you might be struggling with, or someone might be struggling with depression, PTSD, brain injury, or multiple brain injuries, these things stack cognitively. So we see in the research that brain injury affects cognition. PTSD also affects cognition. We see lowered processing speed, for example. And depression, same, will also impact our thinking and our ability to bring things together. And so these things stack and multiply the effect on the cognition of, of you, of someone who's struggling with a brain injury. So just to know that in my, in my opinion, and I just recently heard uh, the editor for the Neurotrauma Journal say kind of the same thing. The, the mental health piece of your brain injury is part of your brain injury. So it has to be treated in concert with brain injury symptoms. So if you're doing some kind of neuro neuro rehabilitation program, mental health should be a part of that because that's part of your brain. It's part of what this is. So anyway, I could talk a long time on that, but I, I will move on. So understanding ambiguous loss. So I was introduced to the research of Pauline Boss when I wrote my dissertation. So way back at school, I was very interested in trauma from very early in my training. And I found this model of ambiguous loss, which Pauline Boss originally founded from the losses of folks who had loved ones die in September, the events surrounding September 11th. So in those situations, many of the people who lost a loved one, there was not a body that was found. So they knew they lost that loved one, but there was no body, there was no grave, there was unresolved closure. And there wasn't closure, rather, and it became unresolved. So I just want to kind of discuss ambiguous loss. So these are losses that are unclear without verification or immediate resolution, as opposed to losses that have that we have ways to grieve, like the timely or expected death. Although those can be difficult too. Those can be complicated and if you know we're not prepared for them or if there was a traumatic death situation, certainly that can happen. Uh, but I kind of compare that to maybe the loss of a grandparent and it was an expected loss and they were maybe in their late 80s or 90s, and we had time to prepare. We did some pre-grieving before, and while some people's grief can get stuck many times, those 
more typical quote unquote losses can naturally be processed in the body and in society. So society gives us ways to help process. There's ritual. So we might have a funeral service or memorial service to gather and witness grief, which is really, really important. So witnessing someone's grief and seeing them in that feels like less alone. And so I think that's the problem in brain injury. And that's why I always suggest that survivors get together so they can witness that loss and grief together because it's very unique. So multiple losses in brain injury, so loss of job, relationship, status, physical ability, cognitive ability, and other other losses such as breakups, migration, a loss of a home, or psychological, such as TBI, dementia, depression, anxiety. So societal ambiguous loss. So with the pandemic, we've had a layer of losses that many of us experience that are unclear and ambiguous. I even think about my relationships. So relationships that I had with people pre-pandemic, they were an active part of my life, are just not people I talk to anymore. And I think that was a result of a global pandemic and just changes in what I do and changes changes in developmental stages for my children. So before the pandemic, my ch- I had one child in preschool and now both of my children are school age. So some of that was maybe a natural progression, but some of those relationships weren't able to be nurtured. And certainly we can try to re-nurture those relationships, but there is still a sense of loss that we didn't get what we needed during that time. And I think, you know, with regard to brain injury, some people tell me that they kind of liked that there weren't expectations for them to leave the house, that they could go at their own pace. And others found it really isolating due to having to use screens so much more. And that was triggering for their symptoms. So I think there was a range of kind of reactions for the folks I work with regarding a brain injury, just like anything else. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And that's from James Baldwin. I really like that quote because it kind of encapsulates grief. So how do we manage our expectations of ourselves and others through this, right? We've kind of laid the groundwork. We've discussed the problem. And now we can kind of focus on what are some strategies? What are some tools? What are some solutions to manage expectations of yourself and others? So I want to start with an exercise, So if you're listening to the podcast and you're not running or driving a car, do this exercise with me. If you are, maybe come back to it another time. So I might ask you to pause and think, write some ideas down if you want to write or just listen to the exercise. Okay. So for a moment, I want you to imagine a peaceful and joyous holiday. And I want you to think about what does that look like? What does that smell like? What do you touch? What do you hear? I don't know if I said hear yet. (laughs) If you can taste anything, think about taste associated with that. And have, I'll have you pause and really dig into this for a moment and come back to me. So write down some ideas, write down all the five senses associated with this joyful, peaceful holiday that you want to have. And let's come back. Okay. So I hope you took some time to do that exercise. So with that, I want you to think about what, what does that look like for you? 
what came up? What things do you need to cut away? For example, what things would you like to lean into more? Are these experiences less time with people that might drain you that are depleting your emotions and your energy? So now that you've kind of uncluttered your mind a little bit, I want you to think of what you'd like to prioritize out of that feeling of joy and ease and peace. What do you want to lean more into? And also, if the moving away, I want you to think of what are some times and experiences where you can attend to any sadness or grief or loss? And sometimes, in some traditions with the holiday, there is kind of some built-in time for that. So if it's at a service, if it's really time alone, lighting a candle, being in a quiet space, whatever it is, I like when people, this is kind of an exercise I prescribe, not prescribe because I'm not a medical doctor, but feelings doctor uh, and understanding the brain, of course. But I will ask people to have an experience where they attend to their grief that has a beginning, middle and an end. So sometimes people will do a walk where they do a certain space certain type of walk. Maybe that's like around a little island or it could be a certain hike that you like to do that's really calming, but it has a beginning, a middle and end. And then after that experience, they can kind of close it up and move on with the rest of their day or their week. So maybe that's something you choose to do. It could be lighting a candle, saying a prayer or writing down some thoughts about sadness and loss and then blowing the candle out, for example. I want you to think about what are things, tools, situations, and experiences that help you feel more settled and make a list of those. What are things that you can kind of bring if you're traveling somewhere or you need some more grounding to help you? And I would say before we move on to joy and ease, you know, thinking of talking about those expectations with your loved ones. So can you communicate to your loved ones that, Hey, I'm only going to be able to be at this gathering for two hours or one and a half hours, whatever amount of time that you think that you can do this year, right? That might change. That might not be forever. And also they can also help with a difficult family member telling them, Hey, you know, I really can't answer a bunch of questions right now with family members, can you let them know that I, you know, really don't want to talk about my love life or my intimate life or my job or my career or my family life right now. And I think that's okay to kind of set those parameters and expectations for your family members. So they know that kind of what's off topic, what is a boundary for you? Because what I find it can be very difficult in the moment to say to someone, you know, Hey, that wasn't okay. I, I really don't need you asking this type of question or, you know, uh, that's not something I feel comfortable answering, which is always a great answer. I don't feel comfortable answering that right now. So it might be rehearsing some of those situations you might be thinking about pre-planning, talking to loved ones about things that would make it easier for you this holiday season. And I find that preparation can be really helpful in managing maybe the fears and anxieties about the situation. So, all right. So we're going to flip the coin. 
cultivating joy and ease because sometimes there's sadness, but we can also think about joy at the same time. They are not contra they're they're on opposite sides, yes. One is a depleting kind of sadness, grief can be depleting. And joy is on is a renewing emotion. So they can be happening at the same time, but trying to lean into joy is really important, I think, in recovery. So you don't always have to manage everything. Certainly ask for help. Take good care of your brain and body during the holidays. Self-care can go out the window. I want you to really think about your morning routines and your evening routines. What are those routines that really help you stay centered and grounded? And write them out. So if you need to pause this for a second, pause the podcast, and I want you to write down what are my morning routines and my evening routines that are going to help me. That could be starting your coffee the night before. That could be thinking about when you're going to take your breaks, when you're going to move, when you're going to get your nutrition. So really think about those things. So pause, write down your morning routines and your evening routines and come back to me. So finding ease and joy is a practice. You can experience more renewing emotions by breathing that in. So one exercise I do with people often in my practice is I use biofeedback. And so we'll actually in real time take someone's heart rate variability and see if it can be more coherent. So what happens a lot of times with folks after brain injury is their heart rate variability is all over the place because their autonomic nervous system, again, that's their sympathetic and their parasympathetic are out of coherence. So they're not able to kind of stay in that place where you can feel more rest, more ease, but it can be something you practice. So one of those practices are doing is doing heart focused breathing. So I might have you do that with me for just a couple minutes. So it's really, really simple. So I just want you to focus on the air of your heart and take a deeper breath than usual. So we're not necessarily doing deep breathing, but I just want you to breathe in and out of the area of the heart and take a couple minutes to do that and come back to me. Okay. I didn't tell you to pause the podcast there. So if you didn't pause and do your heart breathing for a couple minutes and you have time to do it, go ahead and do it. But maybe think about it later if you didn't do it. So when we're focused on the area of the heart, the heart has its own nervous system. It has reactions before we know it's it's happening. So by breathing into that area of the heart, we're really focusing on that area. We're focusing on how our heart can impact the communication with our brain and our bodies. And another thing that I often is an add on to that is thinking of breathing in a renewing emotion. So notice I'm not saying negative or positive because we all have sadness. We all have anxiety. We all have frustration. That's just a human experience thing, right? And we all have joy. We all have happiness in different amounts. All these emotions are in different amounts that we all have. So one can be depleting, one can be renewing. So you can try breathing in that renewing emotion in the area of the heart. So breathing in ease, breathing in joy, breathing in whatever it is, calm, peace, for example. So trying that in in this exercise can be really, really helpful. So I think it's also important to have patience, patience with other people. People are trying, most people, 
<laughs> Most people are trying their best. That's what I love to assume. Sometimes I'm disappointed, but I try to assume the best. The people want to help. The people are trying to show me that they care. And so if we have that mindset that people are trying to help us, that we're looking for that quality in them, we're looking that they're trying to understand, sometimes they're not going to get it right. They're just not. And that's okay. I think just to be aware that people aren't going to try to get it right, but we need to give them information. So what does our listener need to know about how they're talking to us? Can we tell them, hey, you know, what you said right there was, it didn't really feel validating. Well, it'd be better to just say like, oh, that's really hard. Or telling them, you just need them to listen. You don't need them to fix anything. There's nothing to fix when you're having a depleting emotion. You just need to be heard. So hopefully you can move on, move through that depleting emotion to something else. We all might need something different. Some people that's been physical touch has been helpful. Having a hug, hold my hand. The more that you can tell your loved ones things to do that are helpful for you, the more it will feel helpful. So I encourage you to do that. And having patience with yourself and others. You're figuring this out as they're figuring this out too. Okay. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who might benefit from it. And also you can certainly share that with a family member who might benefit from hearing this podcast and reach out to me at TBI therapist on Instagram and certainly at my website at www.tbitherapist.com. Thanks and happy holidays. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 